guys, our movie this week really sucked. I mean, I don't know. I I actually kind of liked the love story this time. No, but I mean the movie sucks. What? You didn't like the lichens? No, guys, the movie sucked because of the vampires. Oh. oh. didn't see you come in welcome to swords and satire the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art i'm your dungeon manager jamie mogul and i'm here with my co-hosts and compatriots in vampiric mysticism i'm jack olander a furry kidnapped from a convention and forced into slavery and called a lichen i don't know where i am please help and I'm an old wise woman who lives in the forest and has no idea what the hell all those furries are run- doing running around in my woods. And what's your name? Oh, Chelsea Hollowell. <laughs> Why do you need to know? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. I, I wasn't trying to get too personal or anything. <laughs> Who's asking? <laughs> well, guys, uh, this week... For our podcast, which is the thing that we do, um, <laughs> we watched a movie, and now we're going to kind of get into what's going on in that movie. And that movie was called Underworld, colon, Rise of the Lichens. It's a 2009 dark fantasy directed by Patrick Tatopoulos and starring Michael Sheen, Bill Nighy, Rhonda Mitra, and Kevin Garreau, and technically Kate Beckinsale, but I mean, that is stretching the credulity of giving somebody a starring role in a movie. Yeah, she was just kind of like chilling on the edge of a balcony at the end. Yeah, we think that it might have just been recycled footage from the first Underworld movie, but I can't like completely confirm that. It totally looked like it to me. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, before we start talking about the movie, I think Chelsea's got a summary that she has prepared ahead of time and that she will present to you all right now. Okay, yeah. So, summary of Underworld Rise of the Lichens. So, this is the prequel movie to the beautiful Underworld series. And we get to see how the Lycan race begins and how they're immediately slaves. And they don't really like that very much. So, who can blame them? Yeah, I mean, that's a completely reasonable stance to take. (laughs) Slavery, we are against it. So this movie covers the beginnings of the feud between the enslaved Lycans and the ruling class vampires. And the vampire that's ruling at this time is Victor. Played by Bill Nighy. Yeah, and the other two vamp lords, Marcus and Amelia, are in their 100-year slumber. Oh, that sounds nice. (laughs) Yeah. If I could hibernate like that, I'd like to. You just want to be a vampire. Oh, 100%. Can you imagine waking up feeling well-rested? Nope. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I played Skyrim. I know that vampires can't wake up feeling well-rested. Neither can oh. lichens, apparently. <laughs> so, in this movie, the vampires are kind of, like, ruling over everybody. It seems like they rule over the humans through trade negotiations. <laughs> yeah, it's and- a very one-sided deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They basically have to pay tribute. And then... Tribute in blood. The werewolves are like wild beasts out in the woods. And in this movie, werewolves are the purebloods that are like just wolves all the time. But they're kind of like werewolves. They're like humanoid wolves, but they run on all fours. It's very confusing. Yeah, and they're not swearwolves. Right. Because they can't talk, so they don't swear. And lichens are the... Werewolves that can take human form. And Lucian was the first of the Lycans. He was a mutation. And so they're all slaves and workers for the vampire rulers. And so 
here we have Lucian. He falls in love with Sonia, Victor's daughter. She's basically a vampire princess. And they have a passionate love affair. Yeah, a lot of uh, sex while hanging off of a balcony or a cliff and, uh, you know, other romantic things, question mark? I yeah. guess immortality and kinky go hand in hand. Well, I mean, the vampires are basically just the original uh, fetish enthusiasts and bondage practitioners, I guess, based on the way they dress. Makes sense. They give their slaves leather pants, so. Yeah. So based on some indiscretion and courtly subterfuge, Victor ends up finding out about Sonia and Lucian. And of course, love between vampires and lichens and sex, too, of course, is forbidden. So Lucian is basically sentenced to death for boning down with Sonia. And Was it worth it, Lucian? Was it? She... Gets uh, this guy named Tannis. I think he was a uh, spy master vampire or vampire spy master. She got him to help Lucian escape uh, by giving him a key to his collar that keeps him from transforming. It seems. Oh, that's right. No, I was going to say it seems like the only reason he helps is that uh, he like can't rat her out. But it's actually because she promises him her seat on the vampire council. Yes, that's a thing in this movie. And so every vampire has to have a or every vampire culture has to have a council. Yeah. So he escapes and gets a bunch of the other uh, lichens to escape with him to the nearby woods. And then they go and come back from the vampire castle three or four times. They have to escape and then come back. And finally, the last time when they come back, they bring all of the werewolves with them so the werewolves and the lichens are working together and they lead a rebellion against victor and the other vampires pretty much everything that happens in this movie like happens in the first 30 minutes and then repeats itself or rewinds and repeats itself for the rest of the movie yes it's very confusing why they keep having to go and come back but anyway so because they couldn't afford another set yeah it was so, good enough once. What about twice? What about thrice? That could be nice. So Lucian is captured again, and he I can't catch a break. <laughs> he and Sonia are sentenced to death by the council because Sonia got pregnant. They consider her baby to be an abomination, and so Lucian has to watch her uh, burn to death by sunlight. It's what I would call a James Bond-esque death trap. Yeah, and it doesn't make any sense, too, because then he turns into a lichen after she's dead. He, like, rages out and turns into a lichen and breaks his chain. So why the fuck didn't he do that? Anyway, maybe that's for later. Well, no, no, it's funny because, like, Victor comes in with his retinue to, like, basically taunt and kill Lucian. But when he sees that Lucian's starting to transform, he's like, go get me my like silver crossbow bolts it's like dude you came into the room without the weapon you were going to use to kill this guy like fucking party foul dude yeah and lucian's trying to escape he's getting shot up with these crossbow bolts and that's when the rest of the lichens and werewolves surge in his rebel army surges over the castle walls they don't need no gate and uh they just start ripping vampires to shreds. A bunch of the vampires apparently don't know how to fight. They're just useless nobles. Back in my day, we called this vamp shredding. <laughs> and so they just get torn to shreds. And then um, Tannis, the spymaster, escapes. And we find out that he helped Victor and the other two vampire lords escape. And that's how they end up alive in the other movies. Yeah, so... They just are kind of like saying that they know this isn't the end after they are triumphant against the vampires and the other vampires are forced to flee. And all the werewolves and lichens are standing around the ruined castle triumphant and like kind of looking like they don't know what else to do. And then the movie just kind of pans up to show the escaping vampire lords and Tannis. So that's kind of like the end of the movie. It's 
It's a little anticlimactic. Well, the true end of the movie is when we cut to modern day Grimdark City that I guess the original Underworld took place in. And we hear the voiceover narration that implies that the whole time the story is being told to Kate Beckinsale's character, Celine, the main character of the original Underworld movies. And she's like, nah, uh-uh, that can't be true. But they've planted the seeds for her having sympathy for werewolves. Yes. The end. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think we just gave a more succinct summary of the movie than the movie itself can possibly do. Or like, yeah. or we just told a clearer version of the story than the movie itself can possibly do. That's why I wanted to gloss over all the times they came and went from the castle, because that would just confuse people. Fair. Well then, uh, with that taken care of, let's head to the delve. The Delve is where we take a closer look at the themes and scenes and lore and all the other stuff that goes on in Underworld, The Rise of the Lycans. So guys, where do we want to start with this one? Do we want to talk about gay subtext in the prison? Do we want to get into uh, whether or not Victor left Lucian alive on purpose or if he just really fucked up? Or do we want to talk about some lore? Let's talk about the lore. So yeah, in the summary, I mentioned that there are three main vampire lords, and then there's all the nobles that are kind of beneath them in social class. And so the three vampire lords are Victor, Marcus, and Amelia. And it seems like they can pass on their title if they have a next of kin. Yes, in this series, vampires can bone down and uh, propagate themselves that way. Yep. They can have children. And the children can grow up. It's, so it seems like these vampires aren't frozen in a particular age, like when they are turned. They can grow up and just age very slowly. So I don't know if they're truly immortal or if they just age slowly. Yeah, at the beginning of the movie, we see Sonia as probably a 10-year-old child, and then later on in the movie, she's a adult-aged woman, but, you know, in vampire years, I don't know what that would be. Yeah, and I, I guess Lycans age really slowly, too, because she and Lucian seem like they're roughly the same age. Do you think, I mean, is it like uh, D&D elves? Like, do you think they have, like, a hundred years of adolescence? Or <laughs> Something like that. I mean, we're not given a time period at all, so... It is the vague past. Yeah. It's like somewhat medieval looking <laughs> yeah. era. I was going to say it's medieval. <laughs> Fantasy medieval. It's 1000 years ago. That's all I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's just the way things were back then. Right. Yeah. When all the vampires and werewolves were surrounding all the woods and making it dangerous to travel. Yeah. Um, so there were human societies at first, it, by the way they were describing everything in the beginning, I thought the humans were just slaves to the vampires and that like in the past vampires had ruled over everything. But then later in the movie, they showed that there were human societies that existed outside of that system. And like there were nobles that came to call on Victor's court and they were like bringing him tribute for his like protection. So he was like basically the vampire mafia. I like <laughs> well, no, see, I liked this part because at first I thought that there was like one of these deals where it's like, oh, they know that these are vampires. They're like trying to get on their good side. So they like send basically chattel to be eaten by the vampires. Turns out the humans didn't know that the vampires were vampires, but they suspected it. It's like there's this there's like the the, the human lord it's like, oh, we knew that you were these evil monsters or whatever, but, like, nobody believed us. And, yeah, they were right, which I thought was kind of cool. Yeah. Just a nice little detail they threw yeah, in. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you never really see, like, snooty nobles in these sort of movies that are actually correct about something or their wisdom turns out to be true. That was a kind of neat twist. Yeah. It's true. So there's a few more interesting pieces of lore we can go over. So the pure blood werewolves 
The ones that can't change into human form are called William's kind. I don't know. There's no explanation for why they're called that. It's, but it is a neat bit of in-world uh, flavor, I thought. Yeah, who's this William guy? <laughs> and the What's other, his deal? And the other thing that uh, vampires and lichens are referred to as children of Corvinus. And I don't know what that means. Is that like their god? Uh, I figure it's probably, like, their original progenitor. Like, I know in, like, a lot of vampire lore, they, like, associate the first vampire, or they, they say that the first vampire was Cain when he killed Abel, like, he got the curse of eternal life. Oh, gee, what a horrible curse to get. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, yeah, just, I just want to say Lucian is the one who says that they're both children of Corvinus. Mm -hmm. Well... Fun fact, Corvinus is Dracula spelled backwards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, I, it's it's funny. The letters just uh, confuse me, I guess. I never <laughs> noticed that. Yeah. If it doesn't make sense in your mind, you've been hypnotized by a vampire. Oh. Don't fall for their lies. Oh, no. And so something that the vampires have that's unique to them in this setting as far as i know is that when they drink the blood of humans or vampires they get like an automatic download of all of their memories so it's like their internal cpu functions off of blood and they can like download shit from that yeah that's where we get the gross scene with victor like drinking Sonya's blood and seeing her boning down with Lucian. It's like, dude, come on. That's that's inappropriate. Yeah, something like, don't watch your don't watch your daughter bone down. I don't care like what you're trying to prove. Some things need to stay private. Seriously. Oh yeah, I compared that scene to when your dad reads your diary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Damn it, dad. That's basically like the vampire form of of that. <laughs> yes. Except you have to bite your child's neck. <laughs> Which is another, like, betrayal, much like reading their diary. Yeah. So. you think she would have fought a little bit more since she would know he could do that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, based on all the goths I knew back in high school, I figured that vampires just always kept an actual diary. So it seems unnecessary to use the blood-sucking method. <laughs> I mean, there's an entire TV show about vampire diaries. You know what I'm saying? Which it's the, a big deal. Apparently that just means they're blood. Yeah. So before we get into all the themes and stuff, I want you guys to remember just the fact that they seem to be able to age and uh, have children and conceive and everything, the vampires in this movie. Oh, I won't so forget. I have a question to ask you guys before we get into everything. All right, I'm down. Do vampires have to poop? <laughs> I mean, I, I would guess they'd have to pee, right? Like pee blood, which if you start peeing blood, consult your doctor immediately. But would it look like blood or would it look like black or brown by the time it's coming out? Like their body has oh, used up come on. everything that it can. Well, I mean, if you're like following like, say, Vampire the Masquerade lore, the blood is kind of like this finite resource that you have to keep refilling yourself with and like when you use your crazy vampire magic it like drains the blood from your body and i guess like it just disappears or evaporates i don't know so you think they can just like magically pee (laughs) yes that is exactly how i would describe it (laughs) so if they had to poop they could magically poop and just like magic it all outside of their body (laughs) Well, I I was thinking more that it just kind of, like, evaporates, I guess, when they use it. Okay. All right, so, guys, let me tell you about class struggle. Now, throughout the movie, we are uh, given very clear signs that the Lycans are a repressed minority amongst vampire society. Uh, uh, Lucian is a blacksmith, so he's a tradesman. He's not allowed into more prestigious levels of society but he does have like he's kind of a special ascended like favorite of victor he's kind of given like special status for um being kind of victor's favorite of of his slaves which is troubling and problematic but that's okay uh i i don't think the movie is hiding from that at all um no uh the other lichens seem to be mostly guards and like 
just laborers. Yeah, kind of miners. Like, yeah, they have them mining for some unknown uh, resources that's not really discussed. <laughs> right, they're they're stuck with undesirable jobs and just kind of kept in check with you know threats of extreme violence. There's blood down there. I know there is. Keep digging until you find it. <laughs> Into the blood mines. Sir, can't you just find a human and eat them? I said blood mines. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, we kind of see a pretty overt example of Lucian, re um, of Lucian leading what was effectively a slave rebellion after he is kind of removed from his comfort zone of he's in a position where he's not really looking to change very much. He wants to escape, but Sonia refuses to leave with him and he doesn't want to leave without her. Yeah, at first he just kind of wants to escape by himself and with Sonia. He's not like trying to overthrow anybody. Right, yeah. He's not looking to improve where, or I'm sorry, Lycan's lot in life. He's just kind of looking out for number one. Which, in this case, is Lucian. I, I'm not saying Lucian's number one, but in his perspective, that's probably what he's telling me. <laughs> yeah. um, so, he, uh, now, he's crafted this key that Chelsea mentioned that unlocks his, um, for lack of a better word, his choke chain. It seems yeah. like it's a um, like a silver spiked necklace that if he goes into his werewolf form, it will impale his throat and probably kill him. Yes. I thought that was actually pretty ironic because... When people own shepherding dogs for their sheep or cows, they typically put a collar on the dogs that have spikes going outward so that if wolves attack the dog, they get hurt when they bite for the throat. Right. And these slaves are essentially werewolves. They turn into wolves and their spikes are on the inside. I thought that was a neat little <laughs> thing right there. Yeah. It stops the wolf inside. Ah, uh, yes, I see. Oh, very good. I get it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he's able to remove this collar, but he only does it to save Sonia, and that's when he exposes himself to Victor's wrath for breaking what Victor said was, I believe, the one rule, which was that he couldn't um, take off the collar, which isn't true. There was many rules that uh, were unspoken that Lucian was not allowed to break, such as uh, sleeping with Victor's daughter. Yeah, or, like, just chilling in the throne room or something like that. Yeah. So, like, Victor kind of acts like he is this benevolent tyrant, effectively. Right. That he's doing... He, I think he even says at one point, like, he was doing this for Lucian's own good, or he was, like, giving him freedom or something. And well, Lucian's like, point, no, it's tyrant. It's tyranny what you're doing to me. Yeah, and he's, like, at one point, Victor was trying to act like, oh, you were, like, a son to me. And he's like... You were only my jailer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and like that seems Lucian's perspective is much more in line with what we as the audience are privy to seeing. Right. Which is mistreatment of the lichens. And so, yeah, um, when Lucian finally does uh, get imprisoned for taking off the collar, basically, he decides he's going to break out of the prison and lead a rebellion. But again, it seems to be very much to get Sonya free from the castle and to escape with her. It is still slightly selfish, but he seems to be feeling a bit more camaraderie with the other Lycans. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's definitely right. Because there are a few scenes where Lucian is looking at the other slaves and they're kind of locking gazes. And Lucian seems not too happy about it, like he's chagrined toward the situation of seeing other lichens in this oppressed position. But when it comes down to it, it seems like he's leading the rebellion out of his love, you know? What's her name again? Sonia. Yeah. He's leading this rebellion out of his love for Sonia. Yeah, I think that that's pretty much uh, in line with what we see. Now, Chelsea, did you mention the fact that Victor is has his prisoners turned into lichens by having them bit by a werewolf? No, they are bit by a lichen who's in their wolf form. Oh, well, either way, the guy or the the wolf was pissed. Yeah. <laughs> it is a dark image to see these humans kind of waiting, not for an execution, but for some kind of death sentence or like form of control that's going to be imposed on them where they're going to be forcibly turned into something else. I mean, it's the, the equivalent of genetic experimentation on prisoners. Yeah. And 
they some of the prisoners, based on what they say, seem to think it's a fate worse than death. Yeah. But yeah, so that really kind of ties together all these themes of, you know, where we see reflections of real world class struggles where subjugated classes are, you know, used for brutal, uh, are used as like cheap labor and are held back through threats of violence. Their bodies are controlled. They don't have any autonomy over their own choices. Yeah, when the guy who helps Lucian, the man who has a voice that sounds like the rolling earth, right? That's Raze. Raze is awesome. Played by Kevin Garreau. Yes. When Raze realizes that he's going to be immortality, but that he's going to be a slave forever and turned into a beast, he keeps shouting, it's a curse. Right. Yeah. yeah. Now, and this is the character who we see in the... Well, what are chronologically the later movies, the original movies, Raze is one of the werewolves under Lucian's command, I think. Yeah, he's one of, like, the lieutenants. Yeah. And, I mean, he's been with Lucian for hundreds of years, so, I mean, I kind of like that continuity. Yeah. Since, I mean, close to the beginning, we don't know how old Lucian is or how slowly he ages by the time he meets Raze, but he's still, like, a young adult. In like, is, like uh, in years, I don't know what that translates to human years. Roughly the equivalent of a Michael Sheen in 2009. <laughs> but so like, he looks like he might be in his early 20s, but he could have been living for hundreds of years by that point. Right. But anyway, so he meets Ray's then, and so they've been together for, they've been together longer than they've been apart. Oh, <laughs> that sounds kind of nice. It's a friendship to last the ages. But yeah, I like this idea that he's rebelling for love that Jack brought out. It's There's this interesting merging of core stories, source material of like Romeo and Juliet, a forbidden love, star-crossed lovers, and Spartacus. They were a vampire and werewolf too, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. But it was switched in that story. Oh, okay. So, yeah. so the female person was a werewolf and the male person was a vampire yeah okay um, so this is a really original story is what you're saying yeah and it's also kind of like merged with this spartacus story of yes good, like a, good catch a slave rebellion and um it's kind of an interesting thing to see them kind of smoosh together <laughs> yeah i wish they had leaned into the politics of it a little bit more i think it would have made for a more interesting story yeah not that i mean like you said i think the love story is it's more interesting than a lot of other ones we get in especially in fantasy movies where love stories seem very tacked on and like it's always two people who just met each other for the first time and hate each other and then suddenly are wanting to bone down like we're kind of getting this story in the middle of their relationship where they are clearly already quite smitten with each other yeah, they're in love, and they they just want to be free to love, choose who they love, and choose who what they get to do with their lives. Freedom and liberty are equated with the ability to choose uh, the course of your own life and what you do with your time in this movie. And I think a lot of people would define freedom in a similar way. Potentially. I mean, it, at least in part. Yeah. It is unfortunate that they had to fridge Sonya to be, like, the motivating action for uh, Lucian's eventual kind of, like, I guess, like, main reason for killing, trying to kill Victor and, and all this. But at least we get a more developed character in Sonya than just, like, the usual, like, way that female love interests are killed off in movies kind of wholesale. This is very much her story as well as Lucian's, I feel like. Yeah. Definitely. I think she was a really strong, strong female character. <laughs> well, she was definitely a strong female character because she was a warrior. Exactly. Yeah, that's part of it. She was a female warrior, and she was one of the strongest... I think she was the strongest warrior in the vampire circle. It seemed it, that way. Except least. for Victor, her father. But yeah. Right. Well, that was up for some debate until, you know, it actually was put to the test. Although we see Victor get beat twice in this movie. Once by Lucian and once by Sonya. So I don't know how good of a fighter he is. 
<laughs> it's true. But Sonya's an excellent fighter. And in a lot of the movie, she's fighting for Lucian, which I think is cool, because even though Lucian has the ability to fight for himself, she kind of tries to stand up for him anyway, which I think is nice. Another thing that I want to give props to her for is she had a spot on the Vampire Council, and she bartered it away to save Lucian. And a lot of people might see that as, like, her giving away her power for a man, and that's not great when it comes to, you know, female representation, or I'm not sure. I thought it spoke somewhat to her strength, because a very difficult part of having power is giving up the power. And I think it spoke in large volumes to how much they cared about each other, because the movie, one of the main points is like, oh, they love each other so much. But I really, I believe it in this one when she does stuff like that. Yeah, you like their chemistry and everything. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I thought they did. I would have liked to see a little bit more of her on the Vampire Council because we only know that because of the dialogue that tells us that. We don't see any scenes of her like presiding over anything or making any decisions like i would have liked to have seen her established more as a powerful political leader and a warrior like maybe a bit of a julius caesar type right yeah and when she's on trial she's bringing up how she's won like countless battles for the council and they dismiss it and they're like your former glory doesn't excuse your current crimes but I thought that was pretty cool that the council was like, you are a glorious warrior. <laughs> but we're going to have you uh, staked to the sun. Uh, I staked into the ground and uh, shown sun onto you. You know, they're evil. Death by sunlight. Like, they're still evil. But I thought it was nice that they gave her props even while wrongfully killing her. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's something. Her dad was basically, uh, Victor was going to try to kind of hide her indiscretions, uh, as he termed it, with the council. Um, but when she was yelling in the courtyard about how she was pregnant with Lucian's kid <laughs> and f sword fighting with her dad in broad view of all the other vampires, like he's like, no, I can't try to hide it. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. He was ready to, like, lie for her. I mean, we don't even know if that's true. That just... Like, Victor's a very unreliable leader. Yeah, he's manipulative. And a lot of people believe the propaganda in this movie. We get a lot of propaganda. A lot of the characters believe. Yeah, we get a lot of the uh, propaganda of the powerful. They call the slave class animals. And, um... Her, Key point, yeah. Yeah, and it's almost like having sex with Lucian, who's a lycan like taints Sonia in their eyes and like her unborn child that she's carrying is they call it an abomination oh yeah this idea of i mean for lack of a better word a mixed race child or pregnancy in a real world corollary right which i mean this movie is it seems to be evoking that type of attitude yeah, the negative it, attitude towards that type of thing it is yeah so I mentioned there is something that I think it does pretty well or that the Underworld movies does pretty well that I kind of want to give them credit for. They do a pretty good job of portraying a more nuanced view of morality, like whose perspective we're following and who's right or wrong on two sides of a argument or fight. I mean, we get these perspectives from the vampires and from the werewolves. And I mean, in this movie, we get a lot of the, uh, I'm sorry, we get a lot of the werewolves perspective, but we do see like examples of vampires who are kind of all over the map in terms of having different views and values. I mean, Sonya and Victor and Tannis all represent vampire perspectives in different ways as do Rays and Lucian for werewolves and stuff or lichens. And yeah. I mean, in the other movies, I know Celine, the, you know, Kate Beckinsale's character is a vampire, but she is eventually kind of able to undo her cultural biases against lichens. And she falls in love with a lichen, right? Yeah. Or something like that. Or like, 
a vampire lichen hybrid who does get born. It's at the end of the first movie, Michael, the human that the lichens are trying to capture because they think that he's a human descendant of like some bloodline that they're following and they think that he might be able to carry both strains of Corvinus, the uh, lichen and vampire blood. Okay. And um, by the end of the movie, we find out that he his physiology is able to withstand both and he becomes a hybrid. A vamp wolf. Yeah, his skin turns like jet black and he gets like 14 abs. <laughs> <laughs> glorious yeah but yeah so i mean i like how these movies do give you a more nuanced perspective of what would typically be considered good and evil like we don't have a really clear side that is completely wrong it's not like star wars where you just have an evil empire that is irredeemably bad i resent that <laughs> imperial scum Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I could see that especially by like if you watch the first movie just Underworld, you get this idea like this feud has been going on for so long, both sides have committed atrocities against the other by that point. Yeah, and I think this, that's a more realistic way to write a film. In this movie that we watched, I mean, or to tell a story. Yeah. In this movie that we watched though, it does seem to be that the side of right might lie a little uh, a bit more with the lichens. Totally. I think um, we, we I think we're given their perspective a little bit more. Yeah, but not all the vampires want to subjugate them either. And I think in other parts of the series it's clear that like not all the vampires really want to fight them. They just do it because they feel like they don't have a choice. Right. So I think that the lichens have friends within the vampire ranks in later movies in the series. At the very least, sympathizers. Right. Like Celine, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. I also haven't seen the whole series. Cool. Well, um, I think this is the perfect time then, since we're talking about morality, to move into evil, stupid, or misunderstood. This is Evil, Stupid, or Misunderstood, the part of the show where we take a look at the main villain of the movie and determine if they were stupid or evil or maybe just misunderstood. So I guess, do we all agree that Victor is, I guess, the villain of the movie? I think so. Yes. <laughs> he was the tyrant, you know? Yeah, I mean, I say the tyrant is always the villain. Yeah, me too. I'm standing by that position. Makes sense to me. I mean, I think he's evil, but he has some nuance to him, you know? I think I agree, but let's hear it. So, you know, he's a vampire. He so good. <laughs> he kills things so he he can eat it, but, like, it's, you know, sentient Something things. humans never do. <laughs> yeah, humans do that, too, but, like, by human standards, he's considered evil because he eats humans. Sure. And same with all other vampires. And he keeps slaves, so that makes him evil, Agreed. too. yeah. And he's cruel and has all kinds of rules just designed to maintain his own power. And he likes to lord that power over others, so that's all pretty evil, too. He call, One of his um, advisors calls freedom a disease, and he way agrees with them. So, <laughs> pretty evil. But... He can feel love. He loves his daughter. I genuinely think he loves his daughter. It doesn't excuse anything else. It just kind of shows that they're creating a villain that has some nuance to him, you know? Yeah, I, I wasn't sure how I felt about that because, like, we see him kind of having this... I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe the movie just doesn't get to explore enough, like, what his motivations are specifically for selling out Sonya to some extent or, like, why he's so like, doesn't believe that anything can be done that goes against the cultural mores. Or maybe I do know why. I mean, maybe that is exactly what it is. Maybe he just can't go against the, the cultural values of vampire society. I mean, he's the ruling vampire lord right then, but he is also subject to the will of the council to some extent. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, I think he loved Sonya, and to a degree, he loved Lucian. But I also think he's just kind of out for yours truly, himself, you know? Me? Oh, 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 I see. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So he cares about them to an extent, but not enough to compromise his political position. And that's kind of like, you know, your typical tyrant villain. Yeah, sociopath. We we do see him have a, a little sad look when... um. When he has to send in Sonya to death. He uh, had some feelsies. Yeah, he had a little little bit of feelsies, a little Bill Nye feelsies. Yeah. He was he was tortured standing there in her bedroom, like smelling her sheets or something really creepy like that. Ugh. While she he knew she was dying and he heard uh Lucian screaming like his heart was exploding when Sonya was dying. That part was actually really sad. Yeah. It's always sad to watch a vampire explode in the flames. I think that's, uh... Michael Sheen. I think that's just a testament to Michael Sheen's ability as an actor. Oh, I I love Michael Sheen. I really felt his pain, you know? That was a very genuine scene. Really played to the heart. But I would have really loved if just some generic, no-named vampire guard came up to him afterwards and was like, I'm sorry, Lucian. At least it was painless. Damn. <laughs> After all the screaming and fire, and it was clearly agonizing. <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. So, uh, sounds like we think Victor's pretty evil, a little misunderstood. I don't know if he's stupid, necessarily. I mean, it seems like he's, at the very least, I think we can kind of see his motivation now that we've kind of talked it through, that like, even if he wanted to do things differently, he would probably end up getting himself in trouble with the other vampire lords. So he probably does feel like his hands are tied. Also, perhaps playing to the point that he's a little bit stupid, is he fell in love with Lucian when he was a baby, right? Or perhaps for some reason he wanted to save Lucian. It's not exactly clear. Yeah, I, don't, I, I think fell in love might provide the wrong context. Yes. Or might imply the wrong context. Right. It was a little foggy, his reasoning for saving baby Lucian. And I think it might be stupid for him playing up this, you are my favorite slave, you're like a son to me thing. Because even if it's a secret, treating him the way he does, clearly isn't working. Right. And Well, yeah, Tannis tells Lucian that he's going to fall out of Victor's favor at some point. It's true. So... If the way he's treating Lucian isn't going to make Lucian reciprocate those feelings or be happy at all, and it's putting his political life in danger, which is basically the only thing he seems to truly value, then what is he doing? And he they don't make him seem like the kind of character that does things through the throes of passion. Hmm. Yeah, he's not an emotional or feeling person. He's more of a thinking and logical type of person. So it's a little bizarre why he chooses to do this. Uh, people have contradicting motivations sometimes, though, and I, I think that that might be a either a strength of the writing or an unintended realistic quality. Maybe. That, Maybe, That yeah, his so, behaviors yeah. don't necessarily line up with his motivations. Yeah, so do you think that would mean it's a stupid thing or a misunderstood thing? I think I'm kind of leaning towards pretty heavy and misunderstood. The heart wants what the heart wants. Yeah, that that fits. I can vibe with that. That's kind of the theme of the movie, if you think about it. Yeah, I think so. And maybe it all kind of ties up in a nice little bow. Yeah. Yes. On that note, why don't we head to the smithy? Welcome, you travelers, to the smithy, where we forge a rating for this movie after we share an epic moment or feature. Chelsea, would you like to go first and tell us your epic moment and then your rating from one to ten swords? Crafted by Lucian, of course. Yes. I think my epic feature is how in love the director seemed to be with the spinning shot showing the person's like split legs as they're spinning through the air because he shows that several times throughout the movie of the shot like somebody spinning through the air and their legs spread out like they're like flipping around and he does a slow motion of them 
at the crest of their jump with their legs spinning in front of the camera. And, like, he just must have really loved that shot because he used it with different characters multiple times throughout the film. So <laughs> there's my epic feature for this movie. All right. Um, I'm going to give it a 5 out of 10 lichen uh, forged swords. Um, it's a fine movie. And I actually think it might be kind of neat if you're new to the series to watch this one first and then mm. watch the other films because you'll get the backstory right from the get-go and it'll definitely change how you feel about the two factions in the first movie when you go to watch it. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. I, I think... Oh, I recommend watching all of the films because they're fun. Um, definitely. But in terms of, like, you know... The graphics and how clunky they were, even for the time period. And um, the, like, weird repetition in the screenplay where they kept going back and forth in the castle didn't actually add anything to the movie. If anything, so, it detracts. Yeah, so yeah, 5 out of 10 swords. Alright, respectable. Jack, your epic moment and your rating. I'm going to say my epic moment is one of the many scenes where Lucian is in a jail cell. <laughs> and <laughs> is one of the many scenes where Lucian is in a jail cell and Sonya comes to try and convince him to run away and she brings him the key and she's like, get out of here. You can get out with this. And he's like, oh, no, I got to stay, right? Or you have to come with me. And she's like, what? but you have a chance at freedom. And he's like, ah, but freedom isn't free if you're not there with me, right? <laughs> and I don't know, the way I summarized it is a little cheesy, of course, but in the movie, I thought that was actually a really touching scene. They did it really nicely. I believe that they were in love. It was cute. And uh, I'm going to say that the movie did not hurt my brain to watch. I was not cringing which i think is nice low bar okay yeah i wasn't cringing they repeated the plot a few times but not enough to make me upset <laughs> <laughs> one more time you would have been pissed right <laughs> yes and i kind of get what they were going for with a lot of the scenes and their relationship i wanted it to succeed so that kept me interested i'm also gonna say five out of ten swords because, you know, it's all right. Okay. Fair. That's good enough. Totally fair. What about you, Jamie? I'm glad you asked. My epic moment is definitely something I have never seen before. It's the scene where Sonia and her crew, or her, I guess, army or guards or whatever, are rolling out to meet the human nobles, and they're going to be attacked by werewolves. And the werewolves are somehow burrowing under the ground and then explode out from the dirt and attack. I have never seen werewolves with a burrow speed before. And, like, these aren't, like, badger-sized werewolves. These are, like, gigantic, like, Andre the Giant-sized furry wolf people. Just yeah, like I just got it cut in here. There's the one where he's just leading with his face. And he's yeah. just like Yeah, it, it's going. like a shark <laughs> cutting through the water, but it's a wolf cutting through the earth. <laughs> the soil. And it's insane. And I loved it. And it just opened up tons of questions for me, but all of them were wonderful. I'm gonna give this movie four and a half swords. It repeats itself too much. The visuals are too spotty for what it's trying to be. Like, I think that they could have done a less distracting job of, like, shooting it. The action sequences are very sloppy. And, I mean, a movie like this lives or dies on its stylistic action. Like, the original Underworld movies are kind of fun, like, gunplay action shoot 'em up movies. And this one doesn't really have an equivalent feeling for sword and sorcery. I wanted to see more kind of long cut sword fighting and stuff. And we don't, we only get a handful of sword fights in the entire movie. It just makes me wonder what they were going for following up with the underworld name. Yeah. So yeah, I, I definitely think Bill should watch it. I think Chelsea probably makes a really good point 
watch it first and then kind of like get to know these characters and then go see them and Celine later on. And I think you'll have a more enjoyable experience. It's not a long movie. It's like right there in an hour and a half. So listeners, regular listeners will know that's always a plus for me. So yeah, go check it out. Underworld colon rise of the lichens. That's what I have to say there. Uh, Why don't we head to the bounty board? You can hear the wolves howling all around you and throughout the forest, echoing off the trees and rocks. You run, scrambling to gain ground and to get away from these horrible monsters chasing you as you feel a pull, almost as if pulling you forward from within your own blood, urging you to move quicker, more swiftly through the woods. You see shimmering silver light cutting through the trees, and you dash towards the opening. When you enter the clearing, you look up to see a pearlescent moon glowing above you, but emblazoned upon the sphere is the word bounties? So, um, this week, I think we want to ask our listeners to head on over to patreon.com slash swords and satire, and if you've been enjoying the show so far, maybe throw us a couple of bucks every month. Yeah, we have, um, a few different tiers for you to choose from with a bunch of different perks and exclusive content. Each one better than the last. Exactly. Literally, because with each tier, you get everything from the previous one and more. Yeah. You can get exclusive bonus content, like extra episodes. Yeah, and you can gain access to patron-only posts, and we will probably mention you in an episode. You gain a look at mini bonus episodes where we bring back some old segments you may have missed. Which segments? You'll have to go to Patreon to find out. Yes. (laughs) Do it. (laughs) And, uh, you know, if you decide to throw us a few bucks every month, um, we'll love you forever. That's right. That that's, that's not listed on the Patreon. Like you have to listen to this episode to know that you're getting that too. It's our love and gratitude. A lot of people are going to support us and not even know that they're getting the love. Yeah. (laughs) That'll be weird. (laughs) All right. Do you guys want to say anything else? We do a lot of work to add this additional content for you to give you something back in return for your support. And we're going to keep looking into ways that we can improve all of the tiers as we go. And uh, you might find that you're getting a, a, an extra little bonus at some point, too. And in addition to supporting some artists making their own content, you get to be part of that process. And you get to do it for less than the cost of a cup of coffee if you choose to take up some of those tiers. Or significantly more than a cup of coffee if you want. <laughs> yeah. If you don't drink coffee, just put that money straight to our Patreon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Jack's right. Every tier gets access to voting privileges on the movies we're going to watch. So that's another perk he might like. That's right. The last satire day of every month, we're going to release an episode that our patrons voted on which movie we watched that week. I think our uh, first uh, voting block is going to be Norse movies. Yep. So... You should definitely head on over to patreon.com slash swords and satire right now. Sign up to send us a few bucks every month and vote on the movie we're going to watch at the end of May. It'll be awesome. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. And one of you lucky listeners that's also a patron will get your name mentioned in that episode. That's right. That's the biggest prize of them all. And most importantly, thank you for listening to every episode. And we will give you special thanks in the recording. That's right. All right, guys. Well, uh, why don't we go rewrite some history? This is Rewriting History, where we discuss an idea for a sequel, a reboot, a spinoff, or a crossover for Underworld, Rise of the Lichens. Now, guys, before we get too far into rewriting this history, I want to ask you both a question. 
How do you make a prequel where there's still stakes for the audience to kind of get invested in? Because we basically know, if you've seen the other Underworld movies, you more or less know the outcome of the events in this film, to some extent. Yeah. You know that Lucian survives. You know that Victor is still one of the vampire council. You know that Sonya's going to die terribly by sunlight. Because that's outlined in the first Underworld movie. Right. So how do you make a prequel that gives the audience some twists and turns that they won't expect? You put them in a perilous situation with a hint to the movies where you know they are alive, right? Okay. It's a prequel, so you reference the other movies with some foreshadowing, which is a reference to something they will do in the future, right? So you're like, oh, they're definitely going to get out of this. They're referencing the other movies, and then they just get fucking capped, you know? They just die right there on screen. And you're just like, yo, holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) What'd they just do? Did they just fuck over their own franchise (laughs) and their own continuity? But then, you know, deus ex machina. (laughs) (laughs) Deus ex ex Corvinus. (laughs) I guess I should have specified good ways to make a sequel with stakes. Actually, that's not so bad because, like, that's going on with the rich soap opera tradition. Like, you kill off a character and then, oh, lo and behold, they weren't actually dead. They, They come back to life somehow. I mean, we are talking about lichens and vampires, right? So it's like this was, like, we see Lucian die, but it was really his brother. And then, like... The other twin comes and lives in Lucian's name. <laughs> that would be amazing. Or, like, they have Lucian, they think Lucian has been killed, but then it turns out they've been keeping him in a cave and keeping him alive with constant flow of blood. <laughs> you know, blood's important in these movies. Yeah. They treat him like a baby bird, and all of the other werewolves come and spit blood into his mouth. <laughs> Oh, I've got an idea, all right? Listen to this, all right? Lucian, you know, it's found out that Lucian is trying to escape because he has a series of tunnels he uses to start hooking up with Sonya, right? Oh, do we find out that he's burrowed those tunnels through his, like, inability to have a burrow speed? (laughs) I'm pretty sure they were the sewers, but that's pretty good. (laughs) Maybe that's how they dug the sewers, with the lichen's natural burrow speed. Perfect. So he gets caught for that, and they think he's trying to lead a rebellion, which maybe he is in this one, because maybe he's motivated by altruism at this point. Yeah. And he's caught, and so he's kind of left out to die a torturous method, maybe similar to the Conan crucifixion on the Tree of Woe, right? He'll have to do a lot of contemplating. Yes. Especially since he can live for long periods of time. Exactly. A real Prometheus scenario. Similarly to Conan, where they use a dark ritual with spirits to bring him back, perhaps Sonya has to use a bit of her vampiric blood or bite, perhaps, or some sort of vampire magic to actually save him from dying on the tree and the fact that he survives longer than the council expected maybe past what consider a life sentence they bring him back for a second chance and it's because she bit him in that situation that makes it him able to impregnate her as a vampire so he's not a vampire like in hybrid but he had some sort of like maybe semi-vampiric infection that is temporarily in his system. You know what I'm saying? Okay, okay. That's interesting. Now see, what I wanted to propose for our rewrite was actually kind of a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead type of scenario. Oh, yes. Where there's maybe like a where or where there's like a lichen and maybe like a lower class vampire who are kind of buddies and we're kind of seeing how this world has been built. So we see like that's the, amazing. We see the werewolf <laughs> laborers using their burrow speed to dig out the tunnels <laughs> that become the sewers. We find out like the origin of the fire bombs that they're using uh in the like weird video game sequence when Sonya and Lucian are trying to escape through the sewers and Victor is like having flaming barrels thrown down in the sewers in like 
a complete like death trap scenario. Yeah. Like we kind of have these characters seeing these events and commenting on them and kind of being like, oh, isn't that weird? And in our rewrite, I would like it if Sonya and Lucian actually do escape. And that is something that could trip up the viewer. They're like, wait a minute, I thought she died. But so they are like kind of taken out of the realm of like thinking that they know what's going to happen that way. And so they they can live for long periods of time without seeming to age. And she's pregnant now, right? Based on what Jack was talking about. And so Bite they- pregnant. They- like, make a life for themselves in the woods. They've gone far enough away so the vampires can't really get to them because there's all those werewolves throughout the woods. But, like, they're chill with all of the lichens. And, like, they learn to trust uh, Sonya. Yeah, in this movie, it seems like the werewolves, like, don't fuck with Lucian. Yeah, they, they, want, they don't automatically attack the lichens. They seem to have a camaraderie with them. So they're kind wolf of, recognize wolf. Yeah, they're kind of protected from the vampires by this sea of werewolves in between them, and um, so they build up a little bit of a lichen society. And Lucian and Sonya are able to live together for a while, and she actually gives birth, and they have this kid. And, oh, I feel like whatever your story is, is going to get real sad. Oh yeah. So um, <laughs> it turns out that. At some point, the child is abducted. The child was, like, traipsing through the woods. Maybe they're, like, 10 or 11 or something like that. They think they're hot, uh, hot shit and they can take care of themselves in the forest. Snooty fucking 10-year-olds. <laughs> and they end up getting captured by one of Victor's cronies. And Oh, is it Tannis? Yeah. And they're captured oh, over at the castle. And, um... That draws Lucian and Sonya out to try to rescue their daughter. I guess it's a female child. It is now. And um, they get captured again, just like our movie goes. They have to constantly escape and get captured. This is the fifth time, seventh time that they <laughs> get to come back to the cells. This time we built an even stronger cell. Oh, maybe it's the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern characters who are like the architects of the prison. Yeah. And they just are kind of like, ah, we, we don't really believe in this whole cause. Like, we just make real shoddy prisons. Yeah. And um, it turns out that Sonya still dies on the, the sunlight stake. Now, what should happen with their daughter? I was thinking that the same fate would befall their daughter. But... Is it Celine? Oh, but no, but she's not a she's not a lichen. That doesn't fit with her backstory. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. I was gonna say, what if Victor like imprints on on the kid again, and uh, like, and then it opens it up to a new sequel. Ooh, like that would happen in between this movie and the first Underworld movie. Yeah, but nice. we'll have to talk about that when we talk about another Underworld movie. Yeah, I prefer that timeline a million percent. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I think we have a little bit of a, uh, an outline here we can go off of. We better um, go hit the drawing board and start writing this up. Yeah, we'll start a storyboard. <laughs> a vision board, maybe? A lot of pointy teeth will be drawn. True. Yeah, good point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, I got a side quest for you. This is the side quest, where we suggest another piece of fantasy media you should check out after you've watched Underworld Rise of the Lichens. So the thing I wanted to suggest this week is an old video game series called The Legacy of Cain. Uh, the first game that I played was the original game, Blood Omen, on the PlayStation. Just full stop, PlayStation. Um... And man, I remember when I first got this game, I was blown away because the main character, Kane, that you're playing as is an evil motherfucker. And I think this was like the first time where I remember playing a video game with a protagonist who is just irredeemably bad. I mean, you can like drain the blood out of like prisoners and stuff and just like kill everyone. And your dude's a real bastard. Like, I think he, like, makes a deal with a demon or something in the beginning. After he dies, he gets killed in 
like kind of random circumstances. Like there's so many things that are unexpected for a video game narrative, especially for like the mid nineties when this game came out. And then later entries in the series, I remember there's like soul reaver, which I didn't play as much. Legacy of Kane 2 is just this brutal game. That's when the games went into 3D. And the main thing I remember from that game is these brutal kill moves you could do. One of them was like if you grabbed somebody by the neck and had a mace, you just pounded their crotch until they <laughs> exploded in blood. Oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah, these games are over the top, ultra violent. But, I mean, like, pretty fun if you're uh, if you're into that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, I suggest you check out uh, Legacy of Cain if you're into vampires in medieval settings and dark, crazy bullshit like this. Is this the game that you had a poster on in the corner of your house at one point? The guy with the curved sword? Definitely, yeah. Oh, yes, the swiggly sword. That was (laughs) badass. Yeah, that's the main (laughs) selling point. Play the game. Play the game. I hope you can, like, download them still on, like, PlayStation Network or something. I don't know. Yeah, or um, some kind of mod or something. Yeah, hopefully there's a way that you can check it out. I, I I played the most of the first game, which, to me, at the time, felt like evil Legend of Zelda, which I thought was super cool. Um, of course, I was super into it as a teenage person in the 1990s. Yeah. <laughs> it was, like, the perfect culmination of all my interests so vampires video games oh yeah (laughs) that's just a razor sharp edge to these games yeah um so yeah there you go legacy of kane check it out if you want all right guys well i think this is a good time to wrap it up and head back into the blood mines yeah Uh, wait i don't want to go into the blood mines (laughs) yeah that's just you know sometimes you got to do what you don't want to do in life it's like washing the dishes Please, this wolf skin is just a suit. I was at a convention, please. <laughs> As always, feel free to drop us a line at swordsandsatire at gmail.com or on social media. You can follow us at swordsandsatire. Send us some messages. We'd love to answer your questions on on the air, which we're not on the air, but you know what I mean. And if you follow us on social media, you'll also get those sweet, sweet memes every Saturday. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> and we already told you about Patreon. Yeah, so we're not going to repeat that. We've, we've talked enough about that. Yeah. Wait, are you talking about our Patreon? No, no, no. We're Did not. We that? We're not talking about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> they know about our Patreon. Yeah. and uh you know if you're feeling like you can't contribute on patreon we totally understand but maybe you could head on over to apple podcast and leave us a review that's free it really does a lot to help people find out about our show and that's really the best gift we could ask for from you yes so until next time hail Hail crow. crow